Pécresse is talking about the great replacement, non-trivolité is getting you know, you know, it's getting called to be prescribed by the first by the by the home home office. The primaire populaire on the left was a big joke that no one mm. cared about and had absolutely no effect on anything. Mm. Uh, okay, one sort of slightly good news, I suppose. Polls, Mélenchon is like pulling very much ahead from all the other left wingers, mm. but then ultimately that's not good news because those, you know, the Greens and the PS candidates are just, just not going to pull out. Because, yeah. And so Mélenchon's not going to get enough of the votes to go to the second round, even though I've seen like some articles and commentaries being like, why Mélenchon could get to the second round? I'm like, right. yeah, except for like, you know, Les Jadot and Hidalgo and fucking whoever the fuck else drop out is not. And then obviously, finally, the big news, which is like so symbolic of what's going on right now, is the whole people leaving Pécresse to go to Zemmour, mm. people leaving fucking the FN to go to Zemmour, and you're seeing... Even as like, he's probably the candidate on the right, which will have the lowest percentage. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. People leaving yeah. the two leading sort of... Established parties. Established right-wing parties, yeah. which are ahead in the polls, and they're jumping ship from those forces towards it would be sort of the as if sort of one were to have left the biden sort of primary campaign mm. in february 2020 mm. to sort of join the sanders campaign yeah. but it's because um, these people all know that no matter what happens at this election well everyone's <clears throat> basically and and we mentioned this in other episodes but everyone's banking on what comes after and they're mm. banking on Macron winning, probably. And on the right, as much on the left as, as on mm. the left, they're like, how are we? How can we position ourselves best for after this election <clears throat> to be part of, at the heart of the new poll that right. will be like hegemonizing a certain part of the political field mm. or whatever. Mm. And so all these right wingers just figure that the poll that will emerge as dominant after the election on the right will be some form of Zimorian poll, sort of fusion, right? A sort of yeah. national identity, national defense, traditional mm, values, mm, kind of like quite aggressively and more openly racist, mm, you know, mm. less kind of complex about talking about, you know, Vichy and Bidin mm, and mm. like the, the sort of checkered past of the right. The One of right. my favorite words that those people use is la droite décomplexée. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, Sort yeah, of exactly. the, I guess, which maybe, maybe we translate to sort of... Yeah, I used the Gallicism there when I said they're less complex. Right, <laughs> sort of, yeah, decomplexed. Decomplexed. Like, it's ironic because what these people sort of claim to be sort of the phenomenon, which is unwinding sort of French culture and French society is wokeism sort of mm. I mean the whole décomplexé thing is it, it is almost a synonym for sort of to be woke uh, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. as far as just what the word yeah. actually means la droite décomplexée yeah they're soon they're going to be like deconstructing themselves out <laughs> yeah. of the sort of woke sort of dominant fabric <laughs> of society they need to de- they need to deconstruct themselves right. so that they can be sort of freely racist and sexist <laughs> and like whatever. Uh, um, but yeah, what you were sort of saying, I mean, for someone like Nicolas Big, who is, I guess, the FN, or sorry, who, I think he was the vice president of the National Rally, Marine Le Pen's party. And actually yesterday he appeared with Zemmour at a speech, so he is fully sort of behind Zemmour. And he, he was one of the like people, contenders for the next strategy of the FN. To right. Pivot away from social reforms. Right. And go back to being sort of pro-neoliberal, mm. anti-kind of mm. benefits, kind mm. of scroungers, and he's sort of going over to Zemmour. Uh, or someone like Guillaume Pelletier, who's like the, but also who's like an LL, sort of an LL guy who joins Zemmour. Personally for them, they'd be in a better position, they think, Afterwards. in the sort of, yeah, new kind of space, right-wing sort of formation, which is going to take shape. Um, they're, they're in a better position, they think behind Zemmour yeah, uh, yeah, sort of yeah, their yeah. careers they will sort of have yeah. more chips sort yeah. of. Well, because they what they figure is even it, it, Marine Le Pen's not going to win and when she loses this is what this is what they're thinking when right. she loses someone else is going to be in charge of the FN right. and ultimately probably all will be forgiven 
because the fact that we left will be more of an ideo- ideological signal mm. rather than some partisan betrayal mm. because it's not even going to be Marine Le Pen's line and mm. team mm. and administration mm. anymore after. Mm. You know, it'll probably, I mean, this is speculation, but it'll probably, what, be her niece or something. I mean, that's um, even the question because Marion Maréchal, who is, yeah, Le Pen's niece. Um, and da- sort of the next legal generation. Uh, yeah, exactly. The sort of the next generation of the Le Pen family who's... I mean, she's a cult figure on the French right yeah. today. She's like four sort of young conservatives, young right wingers our age. Yeah. She's like, I mean, she's the she, goddess. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's Joan of Arc. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's exactly what I was. I was like, as soon as you were like, she's that. I was like, in my head. <laughs> so um, she but she, I mean, she's being courted right now by the Zemmour people to, to. Oh yeah, but she, but like once, once Marine Le Pen, once Marine Le Pen is out. And it's been shown, as far as the right, that part of the right is concerned, that that strategy doesn't work anymore. Mm. And we've got this new space now that we can mm. fill with all the hateful mm. shit that we actually really want to do, but we felt like we couldn't mm. before. Mm. And even if, like, I doubt that Marion Maréchal Le Pen will switch to Zemmour uh, officially. Maybe she will. But even if she does, that doesn't mean that she won't be able to then go and take over the FN after the election, after Marine stepped down. Do you know what I mean? And then when she takes over the FN, she gets to be the Zemmour. She gets to be the one who's... She gets to co-opt his entire rhetoric. And because she probably earned goodwill before the election, maybe by endorsing him, yeah, sure, or showing him support, it means that after the election, she'll be the one to be able to hegemonize that. Because, like, yeah, Zemmour's a popular figure, for sure, amongst these people. But he hasn't got, like, a proper partisan infrastructure yet, you know, like he's, 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 he's building it, been building over the past few months, like the FN's an actual fucking party that's existed for 50 years mm. or whatever, so like But you have the people in Zemmour, the people from the Le Pen sort of orbits that are currently in the Zemmour campaign, they're all the people who were essentially pissed off at Marine Le Pen's like, kind of yeah, orientation the last 10 years, which was this sort of Vaguely, kind of workerist. Well, like sort it's of sort of right, sort of on the whole, a sort national, of national. Um, de- what is it called in French? Dédiabolisation, a sort of de, a de- demonization. You know, yeah. to sort of get rid of all the sort of less tasteful, you know, parts of their racism, like the Holocaust denial of Daddy Le Pen mm-hmm. and things like that, and to claim to like want to improve social conditions. Whereas, of course, in the eighties the FN was like full we love Reagan neoliberalism blah 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 so like you know they, they, she had there has been a shift under her but, it was but also, it's purely electoral it was also a question like, of I mean it was the Le Pen under Florent Philippot mm. that was I mean Philippot who was pissed I mean he, he, he set the line for a number of years which was we are going to become a party of sort of northern France. And um, of the sort of working class forgotten parts of the country. Right, right, right. Like, um, and for someone like Marion Maréchal, when she left, I mean, that for her, she, she hated Florent Philippot. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I bet he she was did. gay. Um, she is like, she was one of the leaders of many Fortus, yeah. this like ardent Catholic conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's a neoliberal. She's oh. the Versailles conservative class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the way that Philippot was not. Not at all. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, so I guess that sort of ex- explains the, what might initially seem the irrationality of people leaving established party infrastructures for this <clears throat> sort of maybe thing that is def- almost definitely not going to go through and probably won't even get a better score than the other people yeah. on the right. But it's because they're sort of signalling and they're also positioning themselves so that when there's this reconfiguration around a new kind of ideological pole, just more to the right, they... They have got the goodwill of the kind of people they're singling to, and they also, you mm. know, um, get to be sort of on the ground floor type mm. thinking, mm. you know, getting on the ground floor, mm. I think. Well, I guess if you guys are tuning in, um, you can probably tell from the fact that Nick and I are speaking and just sort of we're obsessing over what the French right is up to, mm. that you are listening to French Batching. Um, <laughs> this is episode eight. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Um, Hi, guys. Um, and yeah, I guess what are we what are we up to today, Nick? Um, uh, today, well, so today, I guess you know, if you're listening to this episode, you probably seen the title of it or something, and yeah. it will be called something like you know, it's French 
friends becoming fascist or something yeah. like that you know some sort of bait clickbait title <laughs> but um and i guess we've sort of been building up to this question right. for a while i mean a lot of a lot of the episodes we've done have been um on the right in france mm. um there's not been much else to talk about yeah, last year, yeah. <laughs> yeah um and you know we've sort of learned we've sort of been edging towards this answering this question you know with the episode on Zemmour on the new French right on this the sort of where the billionaires sit and all of this right. and so now it's time to kind of take the ball by the horns right, right, right so right, to speak right. and try and figure out you know is France becoming fascist yeah or how <laughs> far along is France in its fascistization yeah in its there process are absolutely sort of fascist elements oh yeah where I mean, are they on their sort of attempt yeah, how, to how close today. are they to power yeah. <laughs> for the episode today uh nick and i did a bit of sort of bit of homework reading uh well, i guess we started with paxton yeah uh, yeah so, so robert, robert paxton yeah whom we have actually spoken about because zamor hates him oh yeah paxton robert paxton sort of one of the great sort of american historians of sort of 20th century europe and specifically sort of vichy france and fascism um, more generally. yeah right um zamor sort of has I don't know if he's actually read a Paxson book <laughs> through and through, but he has sort of targeted Paxson out as sort of one of these sort of American scholars who completely misunderstand who completely France. sort of yeah misunderstand the French sort of conservative tradition and who have essentially written books to sort of neuter kind of to emasculate the French right, right. to sort of divide it and yeah. to sort of undermine yeah. its foundations yeah. and legitimacy no. Paxton has just rigorously examined all the available archives <laughs> on these questions yeah. and Zamor just sits around raging because yeah. like he like anything that isn't his vision of eternal France that's just needs to immediately be sort of cast into the abyss yeah. cannot possibly be right and like even the book that we read on Zamor uh, there was that like vignette where like Zemmour's like talking shit about Paxton and there's, there's like right wingers around him like and they're just like Eric tu es pas historien <laughs> he's like you're not a historian he's like I've done a historian I've done the work of a historian it's just like shut the fuck you just read his book and didn't like what it said do you know what I mean and that's okay or whatever but like don't like you know, you're not like I don't know don't yeah know. so I guess what, what we got from Paxton was sort of a kind of methodological kind yep. of language with which to talk about sort of and what's going on most in people who today. talk about who sort of seek to analyze fascism right I mean, he's, he's, use this he's the reference i mean if you guys want to sort of look at some specific i guess titles um i guess the anatomy of fascism from i think 2002 or 2003 is probably his single most kind of um yeah sort of no uh, known work on the subject um also another sort of shorter text which you guys might be interested in is called the five stages of fascism which came out in the journal of modern history in 1998 it was kind of the prelude to the book right yeah and um and actually i think you know just yes yeah, so for bibliographical reason uh, it's available online like freely i think yeah. you don't even need a site like it's the pdf is just online yeah. So uh, I, w I would really recommend reading yeah, it. It's a good, really good essay. Um, and I guess, what does Paxton have to say, I guess? He, I mean, one, I guess he was sort of writing this, one I think, thing that's maybe important to notice, he was writing this essay and sort of his book that came out in 2002, 2003, sort of at the beginning, at least from a French perspective, of the process where France is now at a sort of a much more yeah, advanced yeah, yeah. stage. I mean, this yeah. was sort of when the National Front, I mean, obviously he doesn't just talk about France, but... Yeah. In the introduction to the anatomy of fascism, um, in in this essay, he is clearly engaging with the fact that you see a renewal of the far in the right 80s, yeah. in the West and the 90s. in the eighties, nineties. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was interesting to sort of read that from sort of a perspective of yeah. okay, these forces, which he was trying to sort of provide contemporary writers with sort of yeah. a language to make yeah. sense of. Yeah. At that time, have only sort of ballooned in their power and influence Perhaps in France, in France especially. Mm. So I guess as far as sort of some of the major claims, frameworks, frameworks yeah. it gives us. Um, so yeah, um, what the reason Paxton is useful, and it seems very sort of obvious, you know, now, once mm. one says it, but, you know, fascism needs to be analyzed from the, pro from the perspective of process rather than from the perspective of, 
you know, uh, a sort of predetermined object, whether that be mm. ideological or like some partisan structures. You know, mm. there, there is the main point he makes is that you know fascism is incredibly sort of varied. And, you know the disparity in between. You know he has a few points on why actually it's so difficult to, right. or like what's made it difficult is to analyze fascism. And the first one is the idea that fascism is some sort of illusion that the ruling classes use to sort of dupe the the, the working classes, um, when in fact you know there is an authentic popular component to fascism right. and we shouldn't mistake it as just this mechanism this sort of mechanistic relationship in between yeah. threat to the interest of the ruling class resort to the illusion of fascism you have to have an autonomously existing fascist movement for that to be possible and i guess that's sort of the marxist kind of yeah understanding of fascism which obviously has a lot the vulgar Marxist, which has a lot to say about the process but it doesn't say everything and yeah. there is maybe a certain laziness and this is something you hear a lot in sort of left-wing circles where yeah. people say oh sort of fascism is a pure sort of functional tool yeah. employed but no it actually there are these processes and these but that's certainly a dimension things that it, it that but, and that's also yeah. another thing that paletta says is that which you know he gets from paxton is that fascism has its own autonomous kind of dynamic right, and right. and move historical movement it's not it's not just a sort of epiphenomenon yeah. of capitalist interests being threatened. Right. One thing, if before we get into the, sort of the other difficulties, but yeah. sort of related to that one, which is just an interesting sort of historical point he made makes. I mean, the kind of is obviously we have there's an ISM, it's an ism, fascism. Mm -hmm. So we think, okay, fascism, sort of one of the great sort of major political kind of systems or ideologies of modernity. Mm. But in Paxton quite correctly points out that, I mean, this really is the one that emerged in the 20th century, whereas I mean, conservatism, socialism... Communism. Uh, well, communism kind of because of the Russian Revolution. Sure, but, I mean, the difference between socialism and communism is... is, is sure, there are... Like, yeah, okay. it's not an authentic... Yeah, communism isn't... As new as, oh, sorry, the the difference between communism and socialism, the jump, right, isn't the same as the difference between conservatism and fascism, right? Like, like Alexis de Tocqueville, or I mean, I don't yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. like Chateaubriand, mm -hmm. like I don't know, conservative yeah. aristocrats from the early twentieth century, from the early nineteenth <laughs> century, they fucking would have, I mean, they would have. They would have been also sort of cortified fascism because they just hated people. Well, yeah, but that's, <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the reason. They hated the masses, you know, when you like, get into like, uh, well, you see, that's what would distinguish them from the fascists: is the, right. the idea of like having this mass popular component. Yeah, mass popular politics for right. them is already like you're already fucked. Right, You've already right. ruined everything right. that's good about the world yeah. by yeah. doing that. Um, um, yeah. The second one is that there's a lot of mimicry in fascist culture, which is that like you know. <clears throat> people will take iconography from all over the place and therefore it means that it feels like um, I mean it's a sort of like do you need to be wearing a swastika to to be a fascist and, and you know to be considered a fascist right. and do you need to be specifically claiming a fascist explicitly fascist iconography to be considered a fascist mm. you know because like the FN you know, are, have spent a lot of time kind of erasing explicit public references to their sort of the genealogy mm. of their politics. Mm. You know, they, they won't go out and be like, I, je m'inscris in the lineage of Maurras and blah, blah, mm. blah. You know, they're not going to do that. Mm. And so... And what they don't, I mean, while a group like the National Front, they don't have a sort of, they don't, or the National Front, they don't have sort of a brown shirt sort of militia. Yeah. Yeah. But they do have, I forget the name of it, but they do have a private... Defense force, yeah, which is like uh, service dog. Yeah, but it's it's they have like training camps. Yeah, yeah they have yeah. These, there's these crazy photos online of just like, I mean they're all sort of retired police officers, yeah. retired soldiers, and they have yeah, like yeah. these just like summer training camps in the Fire. countryside where they like do like fouling style, just like battle formation sort of training and whatnot. I, one 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 time I had to cover this. Um, I once had to cover this um, Le Pen rally, and there were a, a crowd of these guys there that were sort of, yeah, they were then just in their sort of selfie stealth mo mode, and they had these sort of suits with sort of this cockade kind of uh, insignia on, I think, like the left chest, mm -hmm. and it was this sort of like eagle. Mm. Um, so it was definitely not like, it wasn't a swastika, <laughs> but it was yeah, an insignia. It was like a militarized insignia. Or, I mean, 
again, like... But, what, but I think the point he's making is that you'll have different fascist movements might mimic each other, right. and then the question is, is what's an authentic fascism, basically? Right. And what he's saying is that there is no authentic fascism, and that brings us to point three, which is that there is so much disparity in between the different fascism as it emerges in different social or like national contexts. Mm. So obviously mm. Mussolini's Italy is so incredibly different mm. to Hitler's Germany. Mm. And you know, there are even authors that claim that you cannot put them in the shared category of mm. fascism because mm. of how different they are. Mm. And obviously Paxton's like, no, that's bollocks. Mm. Uh, you can. The whole point is that disparity in between types of fascism is inherent to fascism right, because right, right. any authentic fascism is not for exports, right, right, right. as he says, because actually fascism is only emerges in direct relation to what is perceived to be the community, the national community or whatever that needs to be defended and so on. He, and he traces the specific sort of these differences over kind of the relationship, the very varying relationship between different fascist groups and sort of modernity. Mm. For example, like Nazism is sort of this bastard kind of ultra-futurist, mm. like sort of the new man. Yeah. Um, merge as well, I guess, with these sort of kind of Bavarian... Mythified. Sort of mythified, mythified, sort of, yeah. yeah. Like, Black Forest sort of yeah, obsession yeah. with sort of yeah. pre-modern sort of Teutonic Gothic, Knights Teutonic and shit, yeah. Germany. In Italy as well, you sort of have... Well, you have the whole Rome thing. Right. Uh, um, which, uh, and sort of in, with France specifically, and this is a, sort of one of the... This is a certain kind of line sort of conservative writers in France often sort of... sort of evoke is that sort of France has never really had sort of a full fascist tradition or does not have an indigenous fascist tradition. Specifically, sort of, if you look at sort of the French far right in the 1930s, more or less, it is so steeped in sort of royalism yeah. and sort of this kind of concern, like sort of the indigenous sort of old French conservative pre-revolution sort of legitimist tradition. The, the real yeah. France yeah. Uh, from before the revolution. Right, right, right. But this is also, this touches on some, like a sort of point that we share, like, which is that it does seem like part of the reason why France, why it, explicitly fascist movements in France, or at least, shall we say, the far right and or the fascist movements in France were also internally dominated by certain traditional right-wing mm. extreme ideas. Mm. And part of it is because the French right is potentially, ha ha is the most radical right in Europe, insofar as uh, the French right, uh, its extreme components, uh, before fascism even, obviously, but still today, is to go back, essentially to go back in time and abolish the revolution. Mm. And to go back in time and, you know, even Zemmour, Zemmour has all these sort of things that he he, he likes to say that he would do when he, if he got into government, which would be like change parts of the French constitution that are directly taken from the revolutionary period and mm. so on. Mm. Um, and so, <clears throat> the, the, for the fact that the French right not only has had to has developed this sort of really extreme radical perspective on what France is and what needs to be done to regain it, um, but also because throughout over the last you know two hundred years, the French elite has fought tooth and nail for its power. You know, it has had to slaughter you know so many people just to remain so subject to so many revolutions or almost revolutions <clears throat> uprisings and so on <clears throat> that they've developed this like deeply ingrained kind of extremist radical reflex almost mm. in in the indigenous traditional tradition mm. uh, tradi uh, sorry conservative mm. tradition so fascism you know people that we would associate with fascism like action française for example mm. from the 30s you know they were still very much dominated by these ideas mm, of, mm, of royalism, essentially mm, legitimism, mm, and mm. so on. Um, so, um, yeah. And I guess what 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 Paxton sort of argues for in order to sort of get out of kind of the risks he said of, of all these sort of difficulties is either sort of that people will search for what he calls sort of the fascist minimum, yeah, think, yeah, which is sort of yeah, sort of. The minimum criteria to then be considered to, to categorize right. as fascist, or sort of the uh, on the other hand, this sort of kind of was a sort of bestiary kind of sort of uh, like, yeah, right? yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. museum of natural history style, just like sort of collage of all of these fascisms. sort of local sort of tendencies and whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. what he sort of to get out of that trap, what he sort of argues for is that you need to ask yourself 
um, sort of what how does fascism sort of what is the process of fascism yeah. he says yeah. what is this thing doing to sort of yeah. such and such a sort of democratic society yeah, yeah, yeah. fascism is the ideology that emerges after sort of democracy has been more or less established yeah. and it's sort of the ideology has, of has been halted somehow yeah. yeah it's the ideology of the deception of democracy yeah. and uh, also like the, the the sort of another interesting point that that Paxton makes which is that the sort of fourth reason that it's difficult has been difficult to to analyze fascism is that there is this very much sort of pervasive ambiguity in between doctrine and practice and, and action in in fascist movements mm. and and fascist governments um, and which means that you know intellectual history is not that useful when studying fascism or you, you can do at a certain point and we'll get onto that with the five stages of fascism in mm. a sec but <clears throat> past a certain point you just doctrine is completely abandoned mm. you know and it's not like with stalinism or something where okay doctrine you know you know there is a sort of has maybe a doctrinal shift or whatever like certain things are abandoned sure but it's all justified by reference mm. to the pre-existing doctrine mm. that never mm. happens in mm. fascism and so uh, initially that might make it seem hard to define fascism because what if you don't have this, this fascist minimum as Paxton says doctrinal minimum or whatever mm. then how can you categorize things as fascist mm. and what he says is no is it precisely this uh, kind of ambiguity disjuncture loose varying loose relationship in between doctrine and action is itself inherent to fascism mm. because what f the, the dynamic of fascism is whatever uh, it, it takes at a given moment to protect this idea of an ima the imaginary unity of a sort of racial or ethnic or na national or civilizational community you know what I mean um, and at any given moment uh, that can you know that can completely change you know the, the and we'll get onto this with the stages of fascism i guess i'll sort of stick a pin in that now because the it sort of helps to understand how fascism moves from different stages and mm. what kind of conditions it requires to go from one stage to the other right. and when it does move from one stage to the other it is often accompanied by a sort of radical doctrinal shift basically mm, mm, mm. Um, so i guess francis i mean sorry um in general, just to go quite quickly through them, so we can get on to sort of the meat of things. Yeah. Um, Paxton breaks down sort of, yeah, as the title of the article suggests, fascism, fascism sort of the fascism process into sort of five stages, which again, aren't necessarily sequential. Um, you can yeah. sort of jump quickly yeah. from one to the other, but I guess the first is sort of the the creation, sort of the birth of... Fascist movements. Fascist movements. Fascist yeah. writers, yeah. you know, intellectual movements of right. fascism. Which in the current sort of situation in France would really go back to sort of the 1970s with the foundation of the National Front. Yeah. Um, and um, especially maybe with a, with a sort of renaissance period over the past 10 years, or at least since the Many Fortus, right? Sure, yeah. Um, and we certainly have that. You know, you yeah, have yeah. fascist movements and fascist sort of writers in France. Right. more, you know... Yeah. Uh, um, and I guess the second is what he calls the rooting in the political system. So basically parties. Right. Yeah. Uh, the existence of parties derived from fascism in one way or yeah. another. So the FN, uh, the NF in Britain, the BNP. Yeah. A larger scale sort of questions of sort of how sort of the media... Um, sort of how the media sphere mm. will yeah, but sort of adapt debates to the rise of these sorts of actors, how in the rooting stage it's what's also important, I mean, what's something he traces to sort of make sense of how the fascism as a mm. process sort of functions, mm. you have to place what is sort of the fascism proper sort of mm. orbits mm. in relationship with sort of other groups, be yeah. it sort of traditional elites, yeah. sort of political sort of functionaries and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, um, so that's the, the, the press. There's the third stage, which is the acquisition of power. Right. And the passage from this second to the third stage is very much sort of, yeah, about what kind of relationships can be built with the traditional right. Yeah. And to what extent the traditional right is going to resort to these possible alternatives to defend its interests. Yeah. Uh, because of you know a series of conditions that might arise, and I think actually interestingly, from the first stage to the second stage, um, initial creation of fascist movements to their rooting in parties, historically, that's required some sort of maybe military threat to the nation. You know, First World War, mm -hmm. and then the Algerian War, 
uh, of independence in France, which eventually led to the FN, mm. you know, mm. and was sort of a way that to hegemonize all these different groupings, many of which were sort of a bit antagonistic towards one another. And today, I mean, if there is, it's obviously not a war in the sense of the Algerian war, but I mean, the effect yeah, of, of and and the and, and the, the perceived threat of Islam right. and so on. Right. And then, so acquisition of power, that's what kind of relationship are they going to build with the ruling class? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of coalition? How will that emerge? Then there's stage four, which is the exercise of power. Um, and that is again very intensely tied to how the ruling class are inscribed in right. this process. Um, and he does this in the in the article on the five stages of fascism. Does this really sort of interesting comparison between Mussolini and Hitler and how the relationship between Nazism and Italian fascism with mm. the ruling class mm. changed? And all, often, what you see with the acquisition of power is the doctrine changes very much. Yeah. Before the acquisition of power, it's very social, tends to be quite social, you know, directed at poor people. And then after the acquisition of power, or at least in the process of acquiring power, and certainly in this consolidating power once mm. they're in power, that's when all that shit is abandoned because ultimately you need, the or mm. they need the ruling class far more than they need mm. uh, uh, working class people, particularly seeing as they tend to abolish suffrage anyway mm. and so on. So, But the, the, the stage of sort of fascist groups in power sort of bifurcates for the fifth sort of the fifth sort of chapter which is either you'll have forces that are pulled towards sort of radicalization a la kind of final solution yeah yeah a la holocaust right um (laughs) or sort of in the kind of franco sort of spanish case of just sort of entropy entropy towards kind of a authoritarian kind of state more or less which sure has sort of some of the trappings of sort of the law and order kind of claims of the original sort of fascist revolts but realizes that sort of the sort of mass mobilization has maybe more risks than Mm, than, the benefits than benefits Mm. i mean in france what might that mean that could mean like radicalization wills a more sort of and sort of the constitutional sort of constitutional council um, fully contravene any EU orders and literally just unleash the police on whoever immigrant families and whoever about. has anything to say against the regime yeah. Yeah. or entropy will he just sort of allow sort of France's natural sort of lurch towards sort of a soft authoritarianism yeah. to yeah. continue yeah. and just accept to be sort well, of well well you know that probably the entropy thing the form it would take under Zamor, for example, or even Le Pen, Le Pen yeah. uh, would be this some sort of plebiscitary thing whereby the working classes that are being sort of offered some the white working classes that are being offered something by this project mm. will just be reduced to suffrage in plebiscit right. or elections. And then that sort of totally undermines the sort of democracy in a different way because, of course, fascism, its own discourse on democracy is that it is it in, in fact establishing a real democracy whereby all intermediaries in between this sort of phantasmatized eternal people and its concrete leader at a given moment in history is just abolished. All the intermediaries are abolished because that's all just getting in the way of the sort of direct expression of the will and the peop- of the people mm, in the mm, leader. Mm. Uh, and the plebiscitary thing in France, and you know, for anyone who's listened to other episodes, uh, you will have heard us mention the fact that the plebiscitary tradition in France is, is but what we call Bonapartist, uh, essentially, and so it's a sort of authoritarian leader type mm. uh, type type practice. You mm. know that the mm. FN hold quite dear, mm. uh, and that just speaks to yeah the way that the way that fascism inscribes itself in uh, med- yep. um, democracy. Sorry. And I guess to maybe now if we can sort of pivot to kind of applying Paxton's framework. Um, I guess we read this other quite useful book, um, which is by this sort of sociologist named Hugo Pelletta, and it's called, I guess the translated title is called The Possibility of Fascism, France, yeah. The Trajectory of Disaster. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a book that came out, I think, in 2018, and it's I mean, an extremely thorough study, and it sort of came out at the moment when I mean, Macron was about a, sort of a year or two into power, but it's still sort of a honeymoon period. Yeah, he, had his, he had his sort of um, kind of... Golden boy glow, right? Um, Still, sort of Macron's progressivism is what is going to. I mean, so the line was: this is sort of the solution to sort of Fran- French nationalism. Yeah, this the is rise of, of French nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Britain, you have Trump. Uh, Brexit I, in Britain. Sorry, yeah. Britain, have, in Britain, you have Brexit. Yeah. United States, Trumpism. And in France, France, you have Macron. Right, the um, savior. 
And sort of Paletta obviously did not agree. Um, and he, his argument was no, sort of Macronism as a sort of political configuration or whatnot was symptomatic of the ongoing, what he calls sort of hegemony crisis in yeah, France. Process which, of fascistization. Right, which was leading to exactly sort of a new, it, Macron was a stop or stage, is a stop stage yeah, a phase in one of the stages of, of sort of yeah. fascism's rooting um, yeah. in France to yeah. put it back in and he, he draws heavily on Paxton's book yeah. I mean it might uh, on Paxton's writings on fascism yeah. so yeah. it might as well you might as well look at this book as an application of Pax, Paxton's yeah. sort of fascism as I process think it'd be fair thesis to, say that, yeah. to contemporary France and so yeah basically yeah the book is just oh you think that we're all saved now by this golden boy centrist act but actually, these are all the reasons why we're actually in a pre-fascist France. Right, exactly. Um, and I guess, I mean, the, the, book's, the book's very good um, and gives lots of, like, interesting frameworks mm. and so on for, for talking about France specifically. Um, I guess the only sort of dated thing and, and, and the stuff that we'll talk about that the book couldn't have spoken about right. is what's happened in the last three years, which is that the FN isn't the only entity which matters electorally on the French on far the right. French far right. Yeah. The book is very focused on the FN, and that's understandable. Right, it right, is right. the sort of main kind of right. repository of yeah. far right yeah. uh, uh, danger. Yeah. Uh, but if anything, he's such a I mean, he's he's quite deft with his writing about the National Front to the degree to which sort of the sort of emergence of the second pole on the far right. More or less, actually anticipates his dis- Paletta's discussion of what sort of the FN would actually eventually lead towards, essentially, i.e., emerging with the traditional conservative yeah, elites exactly. on its road towards sort of an. Act. So, if anything, is an acceleration. Yeah, it shows how actually close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he does make a lot of predictions. Was. Yeah, and you've you got to give him credit right they've all come to pass or like many of them have come to pass yeah I mean you this know. is a, this book came out before I guess two of the most horrifying things done I mean it came out before a year and a half long culture war led by the progressive government oh, led by um, cabinet members the right the minister of sort the interior of, the education minister right. the higher education right. minister right um, it came out before sort of a new series of authoritarian laws whether it's the loi sécurité globale um, uh, or the anti-separatism law yeah. um, and you know I mean just to give him the credit that he deserves you know what he says is that in this so just to be clear for him Macron is an authoritarian turn yeah. and you know, he says that quite early on, and that's very much being borne out over the past few years. And what he says is under these conditions, the reason that this produces conditions for fascism is that one, it accustoms the ruling classes to the use of, you know, exceptional measures to deal with stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it helps to autonomize progressively the apparatuses of sort of repressive apparatuses of the state, so the, the, the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and indeed, in those two laws, that's exactly sort of what we see. Right, you right. know, you see Sécurité Globale is basically just a law that the police were like, we want you to pass this law. Right, You're right, going right, to pass this right, law because right, we've got you by the right, laws and right. you need us for everything. Right. And the separatism law is the attempt to kind of use the idea of a sort of threat to the nation, the internal enemy, to kind of buttress the the hegemonic block <coughs> that, that Macron's trying to form, right. you know. Um, and so, you know, you are, you really are seeing right. this sort of being born out. Um, I guess if there are maybe two, or, or certain, sort of, if there are maybe two broad, I guess, changes um, in, I guess, contemporary France, which have kind of unsettled... Yeah. What I mean, he what the, the he- Pal- the, Paletta the, discusses as the, sort the of hegemony, the, the prevailing the, hegemony, yeah. or more or less, sort of yeah. political configuration in France, which um, I mean has only continued to pace. This is going to probably be the second election in a row, mm-hmm. where essentially the two political forces which were which existed at the founding of the Fifth Republic mm-hmm. will not be present mm-hmm. um, in yeah. the sort of second round. Yeah. So the breakdown of an entire French party system mm. has, if anything, just I mean, it has yeah. confirmed itself. Um, yeah. It is now a fact. Yeah, the it's new just a fact. Sort of French, sort of political, Normal. sort of 
norm, more yeah. or less. But I guess to sort of more, more or less condense his arguments, two broad shifts. On the one hand is sort of the reality of just a sort of multicultural, um, sort of culturally liberal France, which emerged in the like last... Post- Post, of the 20th century. Post-colonial decline of France coupled with a sort of level of demographic change right. which is just apparent. And new individual, sort of new individual freedoms. Oh yeah, of course, um, and post-68 kind of like cultural shift, right, you right. know, feminism and, yeah. and, and sort of gay rights and yeah, all this yeah. stuff as well. All these cultural shifts in which is included, obviously, right. like demographic changes right, and so right. on. And I guess maybe the other broad kind of shift which he discusses is more or less sort of the breakdown of, I guess, the sort of the structure of French capitalism yeah. in sort of the final third of the 20th century, sort yeah. of Fordism. Uh, and the attempt of 30 to kind of, the, French the attempt to replace it with a new model, yeah. which, so, and, and Paletta sort of describes this quite well, which is that it's this, Situation where, and he describes it as a a, a space in which the, the far right thrives, mm-hmm. uh, as one of these conditions for the emergence of the, of, of fascism or whatever, um, <clears throat> is the impasse of the ruling class to be able to impose a new model, because it is it, there is a crisis of hegemony that's kind of independent from this mm. this process as well. And because there are movements which are strong enough to resist, but not strong enough to provide an alternative, yeah, yeah. Uh, you have this sort of impasse of a situation in which the far right thrives. And he's saying this is this is the space that we're in now, mm-hmm. and this is part of the reason why this is what the far right gets to exploit, and this is where fascism will grow because there's this sort of, you know, we. He, he mentions this, and this is sort of something that's quite known about fascism, is that, and we mentioned it earlier, which is that there's a sort of disruption of the ability of populations to sort of project themselves into a desirable future. Um, and because neither can, say, bourgeois, uh, conservative traditionists project themselves into a more positive sort of interests being secured future because there's this impasse at the level of, of the new model being imposed. But there's also at the level of the, the sort of working classes this like a sort of deterioration of their conditions uh, without a positive alternative to be offered publicly uh, creates this sort of disruption in their ability to sort of see where their life is going, mm. see where their collectivity is going, uh, and in that space you know, is is where fascism mm. develops, you mm. know, this sort mm. of disruption of the horizon of desirable mm. futures. Mm. Um, and that's the sling, just the movie is a bit of a parenthesis, but mm. the a recent piece and sort of artifact of the contemporary French fascism, which you guys can all see actually, go on YouTube and watch the more sort of campaign mm. launch video. But it's this just sort of pastiche collage of sort of the France of yesteryear. Yeah. Uh, and he, there's, he, he, there is this incapacity to, yeah, sort of conceive of sort of the future. Um, yeah. well, as you can see his sort of exploitation of that. I mean, yeah. he speaks in front of this, which is absolutely absurd microphone, which looks like it was, I mean, it's obviously taken from De Gaulle's like, oh, really? oh, right, address, right, right. and it's this just like retro old microphone. Yeah, yeah. And he's speaking in this like <laughs> old sort of, mahogany wood sort of yeah, library yeah, fire um, and as he's sort of I don't know giving just the most like atrocious like rivers of blood style speech yeah. um, it's just this like montage of like scenes of French life from the 1960s yes yeah. um, well see that's also I mean to come back to this sort of disruption of the horizon of desirable futures that's where the millenarian component of fascism comes in yeah, you know yeah. you need this, this this sort of extreme form of projection into the future, this sort of eternal nation thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. which Zimor has to a certain extent, but it's still not quite there in the French kind of higher reaches of fascist expression. I'm sure, like all the like Gourpuscule have like mad millenarian ideas about like France and like thousand year French Reich or whatever. <laughs> like, but like for now, 
that's not quite yeah, produced yeah. itself. But there is definitely this whole discourse of like the eternal, immutable French nation, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you know, you know, Zemmour's line is you know, pour pour la République, pour le blah blah blah, mais surtout pour la France. Right, you know, right. like the claim being that beneath the Republic, beneath democracy, beneath the state, There's beneath this it, sort of there French, is this eternal French nation. Genome, yeah, yeah. Sort of French genus. Yeah, um, um, but I guess maybe to bring it back to sort of these two kind of shifts. Yeah. Um, now, on the one hand, we have sort of these sort of. I mean, there's there's no way around the fact that France has changed dramatically over the last forty years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have um, demographically, sort mm-hmm. of culturally, the country has mm-hmm. has changed. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say for the better. Um, yeah. Um, but this. These, these these changes have just been exploited um, yep. by sort of sort of the new racism in France. Yep. Um, so I mean, whether it's the place, uh, I mean, sort of Islam, sort of the Islam question yep. is, as Plato shows, so central in France today to the degree to which, I mean, it's comparable to sort of the Jewish question. Oh, of course. It, in um, terms of the way that the nation inverted yeah. commas or national identity inverted commas is being constructed by these right. sort of proto neo-fascist kind of movements or right, figures. Right, right. Islam is utterly necessary to be able to produce this sort of like national identity as opposed to this right, right. this other. And of course, that is Paxton and Paletta both say this is inherent to fascism. You need you need. Uh, an internal an enemy. internal enemy which allows you to build a kind of new hegemonic bot block based on its exclusion right, right, right. Um, right. and that's just utterly fundamental to to because of course fascism one way of defining fascism is just the sort of movement for the regeneration uh, of a sort of organic unity of an imaginary community whether that be race or nation or civilization and the sort of what does how does he put it the uh anéantissement um yeah and and the sort of pure and 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 then necessarily this implies a certain ethno-racial purification you know Mm -hmm. you if you're trying to regenerate an organic unity it's because it's been corrupted Mm. right and then obviously that necessarily uh what follows is the sort of abolishing of all sort of forms of contestation of this project right, right. because by definition your project is a millenarian kind of like total war project right. in terms of like what you're actually trying civilizational to civilization yes yeah, civilizational kind of right. and so and that's also you know brings us back to the whole doctrine and practice massive disjuncture in in in, uh, in fascism because ultimately fascist leaders all they, the only anchor to fascist discourse and the relationship between people, the people, the people, and the leader and the party, and blah blah, is that we're doing this for this immutable sort of organic unity, mm. unified community, you know, and mm. we'll do anything it takes. Because of course, fascism uh, requires also a kind of victim narrative of the nation, you know. Uh, and of course, we saw that in in Germany in its mm. most extreme form, and you're very much seeing it in France now. All that you know, we were talking about anti-racism and racism in France, and what's something that's very worrying at the moment are all these like rhetorical shifts taking place in the language we used to talk about racism. Um, so, for example, in Fr- uh, racism and the history of racism in France. So, for example, you know the far collabor collaborationists right. obviously people who collaborated with the nazis they are right wing they are fascists usually or whatever or mm-hmm. just cowards but point so they is, collaborators is people who provide sort of the intellectual just I mean, in the in yeah. the arguments as from like the right. or Zemmour, yeah it's collaborators uh, it, are people who justify terrorism yeah. who, who apologize seek to explain terrorism. terrorism rather than condemn it right. basically left wingers right. right. uh, but even like <clears throat> i mean like uh, sort of the word racism itself is shifting in meaning. I mean, firstly, you know, there is this kind of rhetorical embargo in France on lang- any language to do with racism. You know, you can't really use the kind of language that you can take for granted in Britain or, or, or America to be able to talk publicly about racism. You can't in France because you'll be immediately admonished for there is a battle even over the terminology, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, it goes to show in 2013, this is a nice little factoid. 
the French constitution, the word race in the French constitution, which was, you know, included in the context of, you know, no discrimination on the basis of race, religion, blah, 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 blah. In the French constitution, the word race was eliminated mm, in mm. 2013. Mm. Um, and so there is the, the sort of perversion of language around race. It's to the degree that today, I mean, the people who are accused of racism are the people who criticize racism in France. And back to what you, you mentioned, sort of the victim narrative and the centrality mm. of that. Marc Bloch, who's a fun historian, sort of, he was a Scot, he wrote this excellent book called The Strange Defeat in 1940, which mm. is about sort of how France just lost World War II so quickly. Yeah. Um, and he, he died in sort of 19, I think he was in the resistance and died. And he has, has this excellent sort of para, this passage about sort of the French ruling class in the 1930s and how it just sort of, there was this degree of sort of moroseness and depression, which just, I don't know, the, 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 the French elites wanted the country to sort of crash and burn. Um, and today, it seems, I mean, there is this sort of this victimized, huge victimization complex, which again is somewhat, I mean, Paletta does this quite, I mean, I think he's, he's to a certain degree, there is this, the, the French bourgeoisie is not, to borrow Bloch's term, is not happy. Mm. Um, yeah. They have, I mean, declining share of global profits yeah. um, when you yeah. just sort of compare the size of yeah. France's economy relative to the world economy 30 years ago to today. France is a declining economy. I mean, there are there is massive fortunes in France, needless to be said, but the French bourgeoisie is a struggling class when you compare it to American and British sort of, yeah. the American and British bourgeoisie. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, and this sort of goes back, fits quite well into Paletta's historical narrative, because of course that's, and we've spoken about this before in episodes, this sort of insecurity of the French elite right. very much comes, or like, sort of gets exacerbated in the 80s when they sort of see Britain and America and they're like, oh, Britain and America are like going in the right direction. Right, and right. Like, we could be making so much more money if France did that. And, and in the 80s, obviously, the socialists were in power. And, you know, it was, it was a complicated period because, of course, there was a capitulation with neoliberalism. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, an important, an important episode to sort of, to sort of qualify, I guess, Le Pen, sort of the, the National Rally's claims today to sort of, defend kind of the forgotten man of sort of industrial post-industrial France. In the 80s, I mean, the National Front was the Reaganite, Thatcherite, neoliberal force. Yeah. Um, while French conservatism at the time sort of claimed at least to be loyal to sort of the Gaullist compromise. Mm. Obviously, you had neoliberals in the Gaullist party. Um, Jean-Marie Le Pen was, I mean, he was obsessed with Ronald Reagan. For yeah. him, that was sort of the example of... He, got, he managed to get a picture of him and Reagan together, which he then used in... Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, I guess, the one shift that we just were sort of speaking about, sort of how, I guess, fascism has, through this, through allying with sort of the neo-Republican discourse, exploited the fact of multicultural France and sort of just... I don't know, the changes in French well, society managed, in the last it, years. It's managed to make that the political preoccupations of a certain section of the population. Right. Uh, but I guess this other sort of shift we're talking about is basically the crisis of French capitalism and how that's sort of veering towards this sort of neoliberal authoritarianism, which we've discussed, you know, I guess, in our introductory episode. And it's so sort of the insecurity of the elites in the 80s and 90s, which then, or oh, they finally get a government that wants to serve their interests, right. which is Sarkozy. And then there's the economic, the, the financial crash. Right, right, right. Um, <clears throat> and so you, you, you very much have, and, and you know, this is the, the situation we're in now is this situation we've been in for about 20 years or so, which is <clears throat> that, which is the one that Paletta describes, where the ruling, the elites cannot impose the defense of their interests in the way that they'd like, or that project in the way that they'd like, because there's too much resistance, but there's not enough to create an alternative project. And so what you get is this frust this sort of national frustration that, that people feel where their shit's being taken away, but also they're not being offered anything else. Mm. And so that's when the far right comes along and with its inherently opportunistic economic policies mm, mm. it can just say whatever it needs to say at any given moment to appeal to whatever sections of society it needs to to sort of peel off enough 
voters or enough support to, to build its hegemony or, or its emergent hegemonic block, as, as he puts it. And to make matters worse from their perspective, you've also had over the last 10 years just an extremely vi- vibrant series of social movements, yeah. which well, of course. have been showing the way towards sort of new ways of approaching yeah. multiculturalism yeah. and sort of yeah. the crisis of neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. Inequality. Yeah, yeah, inequality. Yeah, no, so yeah, and on top of that, of course... The, so the, obviously this yeah. connects to the fact that I mean, to a certain degree, the sort of vulgar Marxist interpretation of fascism is correct in the sense that yeah, fascism yeah. appears as a solution to sort of political elites. Um, interests um, being threatened. When their interests are threatened. Yeah. Um, but there also are so many other sort of... Um, mm. Yeah. Sort of I mean, like, the whole point is that they have their own autonomous right. sort of development, yeah. which... To become fascism as we know it, a right. fascist state, for example, or, right. or get into government, yeah, they need to converge with a certain set of conditions, right. um, which which are those that we've been talking about so far. Um, and also, I guess another point that needs to be made about France specifically is this authoritarian turn that we see with Macron, and, and that's been building or Paletta would argue has been building for quite some time you know you obviously have the state of emergency with Hollande mm. um, and you know there's all these quite sort of remarkable quotes from Hollande in the book uh, Hollande was the last socialist mm. uh, president in France saying like basically bragging about how like great the <laughs> the, uh, the state of emergency is because it means you can shut down all these protests right, right. that you like bother him at environmental COP26 activists from the COP26 or whatever the fuck yeah, it is yeah, yeah so like you know very unashamed in their kind of deliberate undermining of democratic norms I guess you know uh, as maybe the centre left you know is prone to right. perhaps uh, and I guess the, but the final the sort of important point is that this authoritarian shift going on in France is very much already inscribed in the what the the the, the trajectory of the Fifth Republic basically right. the Fifth Republic was created by de Gaulle um, <clears throat> a, 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 sort of after the Algerian war to deal with the kind of impasses that that had led to and, you know it was done in a bit of a not like a bit of a coup-ish kind of way and we'll, we're going to have an episode on this in the future so I won't get any further but um, and it was created uh, to replace this parliamentary system which de Gaulle hated you know de Gaulle was obviously was a traditional right winger um, and he wanted a system where there would be the nation would be embodied in the symbolic leadership figure you know one figure which would have enormous discretionary powers because of course what he had in mind is the Algerian war and also he was <clears throat> creating it for himself to a certain extent so he's like yeah I'd love to use all these powers and do what I want and not have to listen to parliament dissolve parliament and pass laws without going through parliament <laughs> do you know what I mean and what we have now is a situation where there's an authoritarian turn taking place in terms of the, the political culture <clears throat> of elites and their practices but the sort of means of doing that are already very much there mm. in the French political system mm. itself mm. You know, and so the scary thing is, is you know, if fascists were to come to power, let's say Le Pen uh, was to come to power, she would have every means at her disposal to carry out uh, the project that she wants uh, without really even having to change the French constitution at all. Zemmour is Zemmour seems very funny. Very fond with the Fifth Republic. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. As far as the changes he's proposed, it's literally just the main things he wants to do away with are sort of certain sort of augmented powers of the judiciary developed in the 1970s. Mm. Um, yeah, 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 but he, yeah, so yeah. he wants to go but back then, to OG Fifth Republic. Yeah, OG Fifth Republic, uh, plebiscitary yeah. government, basically. Right. Um, um, and if maybe to sort of conclude on a grim point, um, I guess we discussed what we're trying to sort of describe is where France is along kind of the rooting of fascism as a process. Yeah. And that, I think, can best be expressed by just, I mean, the comparing sort of poll numbers as you have them today with 2017 or prior elections. But now, if you add up sort of Zemmour and Le Pen, first round votes, so first of France's two round voting system, you're around sort of, you're in the low 30% of first round. One out of three French people. Who are supporting, I mean, a neo-fascist They are, uh, one in three French people today are supporting neo-fascist 
candidates. Yeah. Okay, well, no, not, not one in three French people because there's a lot of abstention. Right, one right. in three voters right. is backing a neo-fascist candidate. Right. Um, but so to come back to sort of this whole process thing, where is France in this process? You know, the key thing for to get from stage two of having movements uh, sorry, stage stage uh, stage one of movements to stage two of parties to stage three of taking power is very much how the neo-fascist movements accommodate with the ruling class and the elements of the ruling class and to the extent to which they can form a hegemonic coalition with elements of the ruling class. Uh, and that very much has been borne out over the past 10 years. First, you have the Manif pour tous, yeah. which for people who don't know was a massive demonstration in 2013 uh, against gay marriage, essentially, uh, which was one of the biggest protests of the 2010s. For all the for all the left wing upsurge that we did see in the 2010s, the biggest demo in France was La Manifortus in 2013, and that gave rise to this whole new generation of uh, sort of far right, you know, right wingers, which saw this sort of alliance of people of our generation basically making alliances and, and thinking oh the division between these two partisan structures the center right and the far right is actually redundant doesn't make sense we all agree on stuff so you have that sort of a, a kind of one step in the process there already and then now almost 10 years later with Zemmour himself you know you are you're seeing that it crystallize even more mm. you know with people leaving the FN to go to Zemmour mm. People from from the traditional right wing party uh, around Pécresse leaving Zemmour, and this sort of certainty that these people have that after the election there will be a new poll constructed around this new kind of class co yeah. coalition, if you like, uh, uh, around a sort of unified ideological position, basically, um, and so. To answer our original question, we are, we are very much, even since Paletta wrote the book, we have gone further along in the process, pro, the fascist process in France, undoubtedly. We're definitely well into the sort of second stage. <laughs> oh, we are deep in yeah. the second stage. We're like maybe even on the brink of the third stage, that's the thing. Yeah. Power. Like, that's the thing, in the next 20 years, do you think either we're going to have a neo-fascist, what me and you would call a neo-fascist government, take or like party take power or some form of social explosion you know some but on verra <laughs> um, maybe, maybe we'll cut that prediction out <laughs> yeah okay. i guess maybe to do a little forecasting um to give you guys an idea of sort of where we're going to go in the next few episodes i guess we sort of have a kind of three-part um sort of for march april and may sort of election special that we're sort of obviously going to be very focused on what's going on as we get to the election month, so as a reminder, um, France votes in April, so mm -hmm. I think it's April 10th and then April 24th or 28th, something like that, mm -hmm. for the two rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we were going to do, we were going to read this, we kind of wanted to maybe kind of change registers, and we are going to read this new sort of book by the like sociologist. A big, big sociological study of... Just contemporary France. Contemporary France, the, all the kind of social transformations that have taken place more or less in the past 50 right. years or so. Right. Uh, you know, in the economy, yeah. culturally, yeah. And, 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 and... And we politics. sort of want, yeah, sort of maybe want to get away from maybe the kind of intellectual genealogy kind of stuff we've yeah. been doing these last yeah. few episodes, pretty yeah. much, more or less up to this point. Yeah. And really just zero in, I mean... On, like, concrete statistically, data data-wise. Changes, yeah. fundamental changes in France. Because yeah. the way we saw it is... Uh, so, yeah, like you said, we're going to do March, April, May... On the on this book, we'll do like two chapters probably or something like yeah. that per per month, um, and the idea was that we would be doing it on the sort of France that will be voting today. Yeah. You know, the France that's voting in April exactly, yeah. is what is this will be the subject of our discussion and is is the subject of the book. Right, right. Um, and so that that was that was sort of the idea. And also, I mean, we'll probably start. Each episode with a little bit of news, you know, yeah. about the campaign, yeah. some juicy, juicy, juicy morsels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're interested in the France that's going to vote uh, in April. Yeah. And, and we think this is probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, well, all right. Thank you guys for tuning in and have a lovely day. Oh, yeah. All the best. Take yeah. care. Bye. <laughs>